the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is Father John Zolsdorf and another podcast. There's a man going around taking names and he decides who to free and who to blame. Everybody won't be treated all the same. There'll be a golden ladder reaching down when the man comes around. We welcome as our guest today Professor Richard A. Spinello, who wrote a splendid online article for Crisis Magazine called Does Amoris Laetitia Retreat from Absolute Moral Norms? You partake of that last offered cup or disappear into the potter's ground when the man comes around. Hear the trumpets, hear the pipers. One hundred million angels singing. Today I'm going to read for you an article at Crisis Magazine Online by Richard A. Spinello, who's a professor at Boston College and who teaches at St. John's Seminary in Boston. Uh, He is an expert on the encyclicals of John Paul II and uh, has written also a book on understanding Carl Wojtyla's important work, Love and Responsibility. He's going to help us deal with the thorny problem raised by the post-Citadel apostolic exhortation by Pope Francis called Amoris Laetitia. Now, we've all heard a lot about Amoris Laetitia. It's controversial, to say the least, and we are probably experiencing exhortation fatigue. But this document isn't going to go away, and it might might wind up being used by the less faithful in the future to undermine, in serious ways, both pastoral practice and the formation of clergy and catechists. There's very good, there are very good things in Amoris Laetitia. Don't get me wrong, but there are also problems that are caused by ambiguities and maybe even by the misuse of certain material, and that's what we're going to drill into. We have to do this, of course. I, I believe in a kind of reverse Gresham's law for the Catholic Internet and Catholic blogosphere, namely that over time, good info drives bad info out. So let's keep our eyes and our ears open and clear. And so I thought that reading Professor Spinello's article could be of some use, especially for busy priests and and seminarians. So first, Professor Spinello puts Amoris Laetitia into a context, and he reminds us that John Paul II had written an encyclical back in the 90s called Veritatis Splendor about the foundations of moral theology and about natural law. In rapid strokes, Spinello reviews the confusion caused by certain Jesuit moral theologians, such as Joseph Fuchs and Richard McCormick, after the Second Vatican Council, who, contrary to the Church's tradition, suggested that there were no moral absolutes. This created a huge amount of confusion, and this is what John Paul II was trying to correct in his encyclical, Veritatis Splendor. Spinello points out that Amoris Laetitia not only does not cite Veritatis Splendor, but it seems to depart from Veritatis Splendor. 
Spinello asks the question, what impact will Amoris Laetitia have on moral theology down the line? Which is a very good, a very good thing to ask. Because there are always going to be those out there who decide that they know better than the church and they're going to try to change your moral teaching one way or another. So, Spinello sketches, again in broad strokes, how Amoris Laetitia seems to side with the revisionists whom John Paul II corrected. And he cites key passages in Amoris Laetitia to support this. Then Spinello drills into how Amoris Laetitia seems to misapply certain texts of St. Thomas Aquinas to justify the shift away from the principles in Veritatis Splendor towards the revisionist position that John Paul II sought to correct. Now, while you're listening uh, to this, try to tune your ears for his explanation of the fundamental option, uh, which is wrong, and proportionalism, which is wrong, and also listen for Spinello's explanation of moral, uh, absolute moral norms, which is a, a key to understanding where the problem is. Finally, um, listen very carefully to Spinello's exposition of Thomas Aquinas, uh, which reveals the flawed way in which Aquinas is employed in Amoris Laetitia. So, without any further delay, let's now hear, does Amoris Laetitia retreat from absolute moral norms by Professor Richard A. Spinello? Some are born and some are dying It's Alpha and Omega's kingdom come And the whirlwind is in the thorn tree The virgins are all trimming their wicks The whirlwind is in the thorn tree It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks In measured a hundredweight and penny pound When the man comes around Does Amoris Laetitia Retreat from Absolute Moral Norms? An article by Richard A. Spinello, online at Crisis Magazine. Richard A. Spinello is an associate research professor at Boston College and a member of the adjunct faculty at St. John's Seminary in Boston. He is the author of The Encyclicals of John Paul II, An Introduction and Commentary, and Understanding Love and Responsibility, a companion to Karl Wojtyla's classic work, along with numerous other books and articles on ethical theory and applied ethics. When Amoris Laetitia was first released on April 8th, headlines in the secular media declared that there was no change in doctrine, but only a call for greater pastoral sensitivity for those in irregular unions. A closer scrutiny of this apostolic exhortation seemed to indicate that it made room for a significant change in pastoral discipline. Cardinal Casper and others quickly insisted that under some circumstances, divorced and remarried Catholics could now receive Holy Communion even without an annulment or without living in a chaste relationship. 
Many commentators have already discussed the problems with changing church discipline in this matter. But what will be the ramifications of the theological arguments used to support this apparent revision in pastoral practice? How will the theological reasoning of this exhortation affect debates in moral theology that have divided theologians since the end of the Second Vatican Council? Amoris Laetitia is an ambiguous document, so it is sometimes difficult to discern what Pope Francis is really trying to accomplish. However, there are valid fears that the principles enunciated in the controversial eighth chapter will reverse the course set for moral theology in John Paul II's landmark encyclical Veritatis Splendor. It is significant that Amoris Laetitia never cites Veritatis Splendor, nor engages its precise normative reasoning. This oversight suggests a certain discontinuity with previous magisterial teaching that is rather troubling. We can begin to better appreciate the potential problems with Amoris Laetitia if we recall why Pope John Paul II felt it necessary to devote a whole encyclical to the theme of moral theology and natural law. Many encyclicals written by John Paul II's predecessors dealt with specific moral issues, but John Paul II was more concerned about the proper foundation of moral theology. After Vatican II, dissent on moral issues was rampant in the Catholic Church. Moral theologians proposed novel theories such as the fundamental option, which claimed that a single evil act need not reverse one's option for God, and therefore could not be classified as a mortal sin. They promoted proportionalism, making moral choices based on whatever option yields the optimal proportion of benefits to harms. Reflecting the postmodern flight from truth and certitude, they discarded the doctrine of specific moral absolutes in favor of formal norms such as love your neighbor. John Paul II witnessed the confusion spread by the revisionists and decided to intervene by writing this encyclical in 1993. The philosopher-pope dissected the shallow arguments underlying these new theories with exquisite care. Most U.S. Catholic seminaries have been faithful to the traditional doctrines reinforced by Veritatis Splendor. Of course, there has been residual discord at a number of Catholic universities. Some moral theologians continue to teach and defend these revisionist creeds, such as the fundamental option. But at least they were forced to contend with a powerful magisterial document that stood as a counterweight to this deconstructed theory. But what will happen to moral theology in the wake of Amoris Laetitia, which seems to disregard and perhaps even oppose the highly principled reasoning of Veritatis Splendor? Will more moral theologians and clergy come to see that encyclical as an irrelevant relic of the John Paul II papacy? Supporters of Pope Francis' approach to moral theology might contend that Amoris Laetitia does not rebuke the work of his predecessor. This may be true, but the language of this exhortation, especially in chapter 8, seems to suggest that Pope Francis is distancing himself from St. John Paul II. 
it seems likely that some theologians will perceive Francis' exhortation as a vindication of the revisionist moral theology Veritatis Splendor sought to dismantle. In an article called In Good Conscience, one moral theologian has already proclaimed that Pope Francis, quote, clearly believes there are few, if any, one-size-fits-all, concrete, absolute norms, close quote. He also applauds the expansive role for conscience presented in the exhortation. Is there a strong textual warrant for the claim that this exhortation is a game-changer for moral theology? Let's consider just one issue, exceptionless moral norms, sometimes referred to as specific moral absolutes. These absolute moral precepts are derived from the first principles of the natural law and include proscriptions against killing of the innocent, adultery, theft, and fornication. Thus, adultery, defined as extramarital intercourse involving a married person, is always wrong. These specific norms protect fundamental human goods, such as marriage and human life. The notion that certain actions are intrinsically wrong may seem to be non-controversial, but there has been a protracted battle among moral theologians over this issue. Revisionists like Joseph Fuchs, S.J., and Richard McCormick, S.J., argued tenaciously against the existence of such specific absolute norms. Father Fuchs, for example, regarded the prohibition of acts like adultery as exhortations rather than norms in the strict sense. Conversely, traditional Catholic moral theologians have insisted that these absolute moral norms have a long pedigree in the Catholic tradition and are intrinsically related to the foundation of its moral system. They have also been witnessed to by martyrs such as St. Thomas More and St. Maria Goretti. But Pope Francis' exhortation seems to side with the revisionists. In one paragraph of chapter 8, he writes that, quote, it is reductive simply to consider whether or not an individual's action correspond to a general law or rule, because that is not enough to discern and ensure full fidelity to God in the concrete life of a human being. It is true that general rules set forth a good which can never be disregarded or neglected, but in their formulation they cannot provide absolutely for all particular situations. Close quote. Amoris Laetitia, 304. And he goes on to endorse a claim of an international theological commission study that the natural law does not present us with, quote, an already established set of rules, but is a source of objective inspiration for the deeply personal process of making decisions. Close quote. Amoris Laetitia, 305. We know from the context of chapter 8 that the moral law at stake concerns the prohibition against adultery. As Jesus said, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. Mark chapter 10, verse 11. 
but it appears that this rule or moral law forbidding adulterous behavior now might be open to certain exceptions. Hence, it is not an absolute standard, but an inspiration for decision-making on the part of those in a second union. After weighing their subjective culpability and assessing their complex concrete situations, these couples, with the pastor's help, can discern their degree of responsibility, Amoris Laetitia 300. Since that responsibility is not the same in all cases, quote, the consequences or effects of a rule need not necessarily be the same, closed quote. Amoris Laetitia 300. Therefore, quote, it can no longer be said that all those in any irregular situation are living in a state of mortal sin and are deprived of sanctifying grace. Close quote. Amoris Laetitia 301. It is true, of course, that someone can be in an adulterous union and not be subjectively guilty. There may be mitigating circumstances that reduces a person's culpability, but the act of adultery is still wrong, and it can never be made right, no matter what the circumstances may be. In these difficult cases, the pastor's duty would be clear. Recognize the mitigating circumstances in, a for, in forgiving the wrongful act, and, if there is confusion, compassionately inform this person that he is wrong in his belief that his second union is not adulterous. The only recourse is to repent and amend one's behavior. But there is certainly the strong intimation in Amoris Laetitia that under some conditions, someone can persist in an adulterous lifestyle without the culpability of grave sin and its severe consequences. In order to fortify his overall argument, Pope Francis cites question 94 in the Prima Secunde of St. Thomas Aquinas' Summa Theologiae. Aquinas would appear to concur with Pope Francis, since he asserts in the fourth article of this question that general moral principles are subject to certain exceptions. Accordingly, the Pope invites readers to incorporate this Thomistic principle into their pastoral discernment. Question 94 was also frequently cited by the revisionists to support their position that acts like adultery are not intrinsically evil. Aquinas declares here that since moral norms involve particular situations, they apply not universally but only generally, and so are subject to certain exceptions. Hence, we can appreciate the appeal of this text for the contentions of Amoris Laetitia. However, Aquinas' argument is far more nuanced, and Amoris Laetitia fails to point out the critical distinction between different types of moral norms. For Aquinas, norms fall into two broad classifications. There are negative moral norms that hold semper et ad semper, always and everywhere without exceptions, because they exclude acts that are, quote, evil in themselves and cannot become good, close quote. Summa Theologiae, Secunda Secunde, Question 33, Article 2. 
but there are also affirmative moral precepts, such as honor your parents, that hold semper sed non ad semper, that is, they oblige always, but not for every occasion. The norms discussed in question 94, article 4, unquestionably fall into the latter category. Aquinas' example makes this quite clear. The affirmative norm that you should return what you have borrowed is subject to certain exceptions depending on the circumstances. Thus, arms entrusted to another should not be returned to their owner if he plans to use those arms to fight against his country. Aquinas often affirms the existence of specific moral absolutes. These negative, exceptionless norms that always forbid killing of the innocent, theft, lying, adultery, and fornication. In several texts, he refers to the intrinsic evil of some acts as specified by their moral object. When Aquinas confronts an Aristotelian commentator who says that adultery is not intrinsically wrong, he replies, quote, We should not agree with the commentator on this point for one may not commit adultery for any good. Quote. De Malo, question 15, article 1, at the 5th. In another treatise, he describes some human acts that, quote, have deformity inseparably attached to them, such as fornication, adultery, and others of this sort, which can in no way be done morally, close quote. Questiones quod libitales, 9, question 7, article 2. Thus, Pope Francis' appeal to Aquinas in this exhortation doesn't hold up, because in question 94 of the Summa, Aquinas is referring only to affirmative norms and not the universally binding negative norm that forbids adultery. If Pope Francis wants to assert that the norms prohibiting the taking of innocent life, lying, adultery, and fornication have exceptions when applied amidst the concrete complexities of life, he cannot recruit St. Thomas Aquinas as an ally. Also, such a position goes counter to a long Catholic tradition that includes the Church's greatest theologians, like Augustine and Aquinas, and extends from Trent to Vatican II. It is certainly possible that Pope Francis is not staking out this new territory for the magisterium in this provocative exhortation. He may be using this softer language to help people find their way back to the faith. I have taught Veritati Splendor to college students, some of whom recoil at terms like intrinsic evil. This notion is a bitter pill to swallow in our relativistic culture where secular modes of thought prevail, but it is quite difficult to express these truths in a different way without changing their essential meaning. Several key texts of chapter 8 certainly give the impression that there is a retreat from the acceptance of these specific absolute moral norms, such as those cited by Aquinas. The rejection of such norms was a popular platform for the revisionists, 
and is, is likely to be revived with renewed vigor. Most of the theologians John Paul II had in mind when he composed Veritatis Splendor have passed away, but there are many others who will continue their work. However, unlike their predecessors, this new generation of revisionist theologians can now appeal to a magisterial document to support their beliefs. Professor Richard A. Spinello's article at uh, online at Crisis Magazine called Does Amoris Laetitia Retreat from Absolute Moral Norms? I hope this can be of use, especially to busy priests and seminarians who may be able to listen to it, maybe on their way to class or, well, out running or driving somewhere or pedaling their bicycles or wherever they can squeeze in a little time. Gentlemen, we need to know this stuff inside and out. We need to know all the angles that are being talked about concerning Amoris Laetitia. Not only the positive things, but also the criticisms that are being offered. Thank you for listening. This is Father John Zulsdorf. Until next time, please pray for me as I will for you.